0: Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. You know, life can be such a grind at times, and so we're here sharing God's Word with you to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the host of the Grinded Podcast, the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grinded Podcast. Today we're going to continue talking about these parables in Matthew chapter 13, and Matthew tells his readers uh, that Jesus taught in parables, which is simply stories that use everyday objects, things that people are familiar with to teach a spiritual lesson. And Jesus did this often. And his first parable that we covered in the last podcast uh, is the parable of what we call the parable of the sower, which is talking about a farmer that sowed seed and that seed being the word of God and it falls on these different types of souls and Jesus we don't have to guess what Jesus meant by that parable because he actually breaks it down for his disciples and it's recorded for us today but in Matthew chapter 13 uh, we're going to continue like I said with these parables and we're going to be breaking down these parables over the next several podcasts and what you're going to notice is a main theme throughout these parables in Matthew chapter 13. And that theme is the kingdom of God. And if I'm not mistaken, all of these parables lead with the kingdom of heaven is like. And then uh, Jesus uses something that people are familiar with uh, to try to explain what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. And and the one we're going to cover today is the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or uh, also known as the, the parable of the wheat and tares, and it's found in verses 24 through 30. And here's what Matthew writes. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. And that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, and then slipped away. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. And the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? And an enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? The workers asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell you, uh, then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in bundles, and burn them, and to put them or put the wheat in the barn. So let's break down this parable that Jesus gave to the audience about the wheat and the weeds. Um, and I want to make a disclaimer here. I'm not a farmer. I don't, I can't remember even planting anything in my life. Maybe a a plant or a small shrub or a tree, but I, I don't honestly I can't even remember doing that. So I don't pretend to be an expert on farming whatsoever but I'm 50 years old. I've watched people do it. I've helped people do it. So I have a little bit of knowledge, some common knowledge about how farming works or at least planting things and and planting seed and seed growing into whatever. Um, But there's five, this is why I'm bringing it down. There there are five basic components to agriculture, uh, to this seed planting and, and, and germinating and growing into a crop. You have soil, number one, number two, you have seed, three, you have rain, four, there's time, and the fifth one being the harvest. And i want to break it down, each one of them like this. You got to have soil to plant the seed in, right? And then you have the seed, you, you, you cut away some of the soil, and then you put the seed down in the soil, and you cover the seed back up. And then the rain comes, this is very basic, I don't know. But the rain comes and it waters the soil. Over a period of time, the seed begins to germinate, right? And it, and it grows roots. And then the next thing you know, it crops out of the ground or it comes up out of the ground and it turns into whatever that seed is, whether it's a plant, whether it's a flower, whether it, it's a tree, um, you know, some kind of vegetable, whatever has been planted. That's what comes up out of the ground. So when the time comes then, over a period of time, and the seed has grown into maturity, say it's a stalk of corn and it's grown to be about six to eight feet tall and it's full of ears of corn. Well, what happens? The farmer uh, comes out and notices that his field is ready for a harvest. And so that comes after a period of time and then when the the seed has come to maturity, it's a time of For harvest, and they go and pick um, whatever has has grown into maturity, and that's exactly what's going on in this parable of the wheat and the weeds that Jesus has given to this crowd and to his disciples and to us. The farmer has planted his wheat. Some time uh, has passed, and the the wheat has it has begun to uh, it has begun to sprout. And the workers, they go to, to check out what's going on in the field to look over their crops, maybe to, to take care of it, to tend to uh, the crop's needs, and they notice something happening that that's really weird in their field. They've, they've worked really hard. They've made sure that they prepared the ground, and they've planted good seed, but there's weeds coming up with the wheat. And so they, they ask a question I think that all of us would, would ask. How did this happen? And we want answers. How did wheat get planted and yet wheat and weeds are coming up? And so the natural reaction for the workers is to fix the issue, to fix the problem. And their first thought is to go into the field and get the weeds out so they go talk to the farmer to find out what he wants to do. That's a good idea. And so they go to the farmer, they report the issue at hand. There's, there's weeds in our field that we've worked very hard on. And we don't know how they've gotten there because we planted good seed and we, we, we have tilled this land and, and, and we know it was good land and we know we didn't have any kind of, uh, weed in our seed. We had good seed and we planted good seed. So how could this have happened? Should we go and get the weeds out? But the farmer has a better plan because he's wiser than the workers who just want to run and fix the issue. The farmer knows that an enemy or an opposition, if you will, which, uh, by the way, the name Satan means opposition. And the farmer knows that an enemy, an opposition, has created this issue because the enemy came in after everyone had left the field and planted weeds among the wheat the farmer knows that if the workers were to go into the field and pull up the weeds they would destroy a lot of precious wheat and it would be very costly for the farmer the farmer tells the workers that uh, that planted these seeds that worked very hard on this soil and planted the seed he says to let some time pass and when it's time for the harvest he will tell the harvesters then to gather the wheat as well as the weeds. And then after they've after everything in the field has been gathered, the harvesters will then separate the wheat and the weeds, bundle up the weeds, bundle up the wheat, burn the weeds, and store the wheat into the barn. Because the wheat is what they wanted to begin with. That's why they planted the seed. And that way, when the harvesters let it grow up together and harvest it and then separate it and bundle them up together and get rid of the weeds and and, and keep the weed into the barn, no wheat will be lost during this process and the useless weeds will be destroyed and the farmer won't lose any crop. Because if, if the workers would have just went out in the field and started pulling up, the weeds, they would have pulled up some wheat with it and it would have cost the farmer a lot of money. The awesome thing about this parable, much like the parable of the sower, Jesus gives us the interpretation so we don't have to try and figure out what he means by it. And this is found in verses 36 through 43 when Jesus says, or Matthew writes, then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house and his disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. And Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. So Jesus is the farmer. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen. We talked about that in the last podcast. Because when we listen, Jesus says, we will understand. And that's what he says here. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So I hope you've heard what Jesus has said, and I'm going to help you understand it. And here's how we're going to break this down. Because there's some great lessons in this parable for us. The farmer owns a field and plants seed. And this, is, this is very elementary. A farmer owns a field and plants the seed. Jesus tells us that he is the farmer and the world is his field. If you read Genesis chapter 1 in the creation story, we know that God spoke everything into existence. He created everything the world, the heavens, the land, the water. He separated the two. He gave us light, He gave us night, He gave us the sun, He gave us the moon and stars created man created all these animals he created everything and you can read colossians 1 where paul talks about jesus being there when everything was created and everything is held by the power of jesus and so uh and i've broken this down in, in previous podcasts you can go back and find that. let's you can google it and study it on your own but genesis 1 we had the creation story the word for Elohim in Genesis chapter one, the word in Hebrew is Elohim for God, and that word is plural. And in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-six, we know it says, "Let us make man in our image." That, in the English language, is plural, and uh, so we know there's more than one person there. So there's you got the Father, you have the Son, but what about the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's in verse two where it says, "The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water." So the Holy Spirit god the father and god the son or jesus he wasn't the son yet but he was jesus he was the father he was with the father in the beginning he's been with the father all through eternity just as the holy spirit has as well but the farmer is jesus the world is his field he created it and he owns it the farmer and his workers let's talk about those for a second Jesus is the farmer. Well, who are the workers? Well, in this case, in Matthew chapter thirteen, it's his immediate disciples, the twelve that he went and handpicked. They are helping him. Remember, he, he, he has, uh, he has empowered them to go out and preach that the kingdom of God is here, and and to back up their message, he's given them the power to go out and and cast out demons and to heal people. So. As, as Matthew is writing this, he's talking about himself because he was one of the 12. And But however, what is a disciple? A disciple is simply a follower. And so if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, if we've been washed in the blood of Jesus and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit and we're walking with Jesus on a daily basis and, and he is the, the center of of our world, he is the focus of our attention, then we are a disciple, we are a follower of of christ and if we are a follower if we are a disciple of jesus then we too are his workers and as christ followers we have one job that's it one job it's really that simple we think we have more than one job because we we like to be the spiritual police, if you will. I don't know how, how else to say that. We, we think it's our job to go out and bash people over the head with the Bible, you know, to tell them how wrong they are and tell them how they're in sin. And we, we throw out a bunch of scriptures condemning the sin that people are committing. And, and, and that's not our job. It's not our job. What is our job? Our job is to work for the farmer. And that's Jesus. What did the farmer have his workers to do? What did his what What was the job of Jesus's disciples? Did they go out and 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 beat people over the head with scripture? Absolutely not and we just talked about this in a previous podcast, but Jesus prepared his workers with teachings about the kingdom of God. He was pouring himself into those twelve men because he knew within three years or so he was going to be. Uh, betrayed down cross, be put in a tomb resurrected the third day and then within 40 days after that he's going to be ascending back to the father and he would be leaving them and it was going to be their job to take the keys of the kingdom and grow it and build it and <clears throat> which is still happening by the way so jesus prepared his workers those 12 men with the teachings about the kingdom of god he tells them to go out to the, at first to the Jews only when he sent them out uh, in pairs, two by two. And he told them to go into these villages and preach the message of hope that the kingdom is now here. And he empowered them, like I said a few minutes ago, to work miracles so that they could back up the message that they are proclaiming. And he said, if they accept your message, hey, that's great. They'll take care of you. But if they don't. You, you you walk out of that house, you walk out of that city, and you shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. That That's simply what our job is. Our job, our one job, is to share Jesus with people. It's, that's it. Our job is to go out into the field, the world, and sow seed for the kingdom of God, and to nourish the seed as making sure it has been planted, and making sure it has plenty of water. And the rest is up to God and the harvesters. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 5 through 9, he says, After all, because the, the the church in Corinth was, they were having uh, division issues because people had been uh, baptized by Apollo, some had been baptized by Paul, and so forth and so on. And, and so Paul's saying, Look, after all, who's Apollo's? Who's Paul? We're all, we're all God's servants through whom you believe the good news. In other words, we taught you the good news, and you were obedient to the good news, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Each of us, the workers of God, we, we did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Paulos came along and watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. It's a word we don't like because we work all the time. So we don't want to work when it comes to Jesus and the gospel and the kingdom of God. But that's what we have to do. Paul says, for we are both the plant, the one who plants and the one who waters. We are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's buildings. <clears throat> In my opinion, one of our problems as the workers for God, for Jesus, is that we think that we are the harvesters as well. Our job as workers for the farmer who is Jesus As we just read, Paul say is to plant seed in the soil. Water that seed, period. That's it. Plant seed. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about the death, burial, and the resurrection so that they can have the opportunity to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. To be saved or to be condemned. The job of the harvester is to separate the wheat from the weeds. And who is harvesting the crop that uh, that the field has produced? Well who did Jesus say it was? It's not the workers. He told the workers, no, it's not your job to harvest. We're going to your job was to plant seed. Now we've got to give it time and let it grow together, and then I will tell the harvesters when it's time for the harvest to begin, and the harvesters will go and separate that they'll pull up the weeds and the wheat, they'll gather it all together. Whatever's in the field. And then they'll separate, in the end, the wheat from the weeds. Well, who who are the harvesters? Jesus said that the harvesters are not the workers, but the angels. And the angels know who belong to Jesus and who does not. Guess what? Newsflash, we don't. I don't know if you're a Christian. You don't know if I'm a Christian. I can say that I am all day long. But you you don't know me. And I don't know you. Maybe we've never met. Maybe we have met. But that doesn't mean just because somebody says that they love Jesus or they serve Jesus, that doesn't mean that they do. We can't look at people's hearts. Now we can look at their actions and, and we can see the fruit that they are producing and we, and we can kind of tell from the fruit that they are producing because maybe they're not producing fruit at all or maybe they're, they're producing bad fruit. But Jesus says a, a, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. We can't see the heart, only God can see a person's heart, and the angels who belong to god they they know who are who are saved and and who's not saved. As a matter of fact, Jesus says when one comes to to Jesus when one is born again and gives their life to christ there's there's rejoicing by the angels in heaven. there's a big party going on every time that somebody gives their life to Jesus. So the angels, who are the harvesters according to Jesus himself, they, they know when, 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 when they come and gather everybody together, and I'll explain this in just a second, they know who belongs to Jesus and who don't, and they're going to separate us. In Matthew 24, 30-31. Immediately, after the anguish of those days, this is Jesus talking to his disciples about the end of times. He says, The sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming in on the clouds of heaven. With power and great glory. Let me stop right there. When, when in Acts chapter one, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, and the disciples are there uh, watching him disappear into the clouds, what did the angel? There was angels that appeared beside the disciples, and they said, "You men of Galilee, why are you standing up, staring up into the heavens, and staring at Jesus as he's going up?" He said, "He said he's going to return just like you see him leave. How did he leave? He left into the clouds. What does Jesus say here? He says." They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now listen to this, verse 31. He will send out his angels. He will, Jesus will, send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. What's going to happen at the end time? Paul, According to First Thessalonians chapter 4 that Paul writes, the trumpet's going to sound and then it's all going to end. He will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen one. Who will? The angels will, because they are the ones who harvest the crop. They will gather his chosen ones from all of the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. And I want to read first uh, let's see, Colossians chapter one because Paul He paints a beautiful picture of all of this. He puts this all together. Into perspective, how we are the workers for the farmers. The farmer is Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, we work. We are given a task. And that only task that we have is to plant seed, to take care of the seed. Not worrying about how somebody's living their life. Not condemning those who are out there in the world. That that that's God's job, not our job. God God convicts people. We don't. All we can do is share Jesus. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. We can sit there and beat people over the head with the Bible and, and we can yell at them and we can condemn them and we can tell them how they're living in sin, but guess what? They're not listening. Nobody's listening. But if we take Jesus and and share with them, there's a better way, there's a hope that without Jesus, you are lost and undone and condemned. But with Jesus, you can have a relationship with God, that you can be reconciled to God, that you can be a friend of God. All because Jesus died on a cross that he loves us so much that he would be willing to give himself up, go through this cruel death on a cross, be put in a tomb for three days, to be know what it's like to be separated from the Father, to be like us, and then come out of that tomb holding the keys of death and hell. Victorious. And because he came out of that tomb, we also have that hope that we're going to be resurrected that, that that this life is not all there is that when we pass from this life into eternity for washing the blood of jesus christ we're going to be with god for eternity forever and ever and ever and if we don't then we we, we die condemned and we're separated from god for eternity but we as workers have to give that message of hope. And this is and that, that's our only job. Because the only thing that matters when somebody takes their last breath on this earth and their heart beats for the last time is where they washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? And as a worker of Christ, and I know somebody that is lost, did I share with them Jesus? Did I give them that opportunity to accept or reject Jesus? It's the only thing that matters. The rest comes later. Jesus will take somebody and clean them up in time. But they have to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit before that could ever take place. That's all that matters. Paul paints a beautiful picture of this in Colossians 1. Now I'm going to read it. This is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had you have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, and it still is. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. What's bearing fruit? The the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just, you know, beating over people over the head with a Bible don't change lives. What changes lives? Jesus. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it, or heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras. You, you heard about Jesus and what he done on the cross from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. What does a servant do? A servant works. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. The key is having Jesus at the center of your life. Because when we do, our lives will produce every kind of good fruit, like Paul says, and all the while... As we're centered and focused on the Lord, we will grow as we learn to know God better and better. We also pray, he says, that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you have all the endurance and patience you need. In other words, you ain't going to give up when things get rough and and get hard. You're going to keep going. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And then Paul's going to talk about Jesus being the farmer and how He created the field or the world. Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. That's what I was talking about earlier, that Jesus has always been there since eternity with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. He made things that we can, that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in an unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Jesus does. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. That's the kingdom. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is the first in everything. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How? How? By the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. When you didn't know Jesus, you were an enemy to God. You were separated from God. That's what Paul says. But God has made peace with everything, including us, by the blood of Jesus Christ. This includes you. Who were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body on the cross. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. The blood of Jesus Christ when we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, we stand before God. Even though we are sinners, through the blood of Jesus Christ, God sees us as though we have no sin. That's awesome. As a result, Jesus' blood has brought you into God's presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. That's why I said this is the only thing that matters. The blood of Jesus. You must continue, Paul says, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firm in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news, when you heard about Jesus, when you heard about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and you believed in it. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant or his worker to proclaim it. And Paul's going to talk about his work for the church. He says, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, and he was persecuted big time. For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was, because that's the only thing that's important. That's what Paul's saying. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by, by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. Talking about in the Old Testament. But now it's been revealed to God's people. Because Jesus has been here and he's he's ascended back to the Father and that's been revealed. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And the Gentiles, Jesus said in John 10 when he's talking about uh, he's a good shepherd, he said, I have sheep that are not of this fold. Talking about the Gentiles. The Gentiles and the Jews are now welcomed into the kingdom of God. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret, Paul says. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. This is the secret. This is what's important. That Christ lives in you. And with Christ living in you, this gives you assurance. Assurance of sharing His glory. We don't have to wonder if we're saved or not. We know we are saved if we have given our lives to Jesus Christ. If we've heard the good news, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and we've been obedient to it, we put Christ on in baptism, then we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're walking with Jesus to the best of our abilities. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. So we tell others about Christ because we want them to have that assurance too. We, we want them to know that God has accepted them and loves them just the way that they are. That's what Paul is saying here. That's why we work. That's why we share this this message, the gospel, the hope, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That people can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they, they can live for Jesus. And they can be saved. They can have their sins washed away. They know when they take their last breath on this earth, and they ter- take their first breath in eternity, that they will spend eternity with Jesus, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit in a place called heaven that we can't even fathom on this earth. Paul says this message, this secret is so important. So we, we tell others, about Christ, about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, Paul says, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. In other words, Jesus is giving me strength to do this. God or Jesus is working through me. And and this guy has been beaten He's been beaten with rods. He's been stoned. Many says that he died and was resurrected. The guy w- went through shipwrecks. He he went through a lot of struggles. He w- he was chased from city to city. People hated him because of the message that he was preaching and proclaiming. And that's Jesus. And he says that's why I work and struggle so hard, and I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want to I want to end the podcast by saying. Just a few things. Number one, the the first thing I want to say is Jesus didn't go around condemning people for their sin. He simply told them about a better way to live. There's God's way. He gave them that opportunity to repent of their sin, which is going against God's will, right? He gave them that opportunity to repent and join the kingdom of God. He, he He didn't go around condemning people. He went around loving people and sharing this message of hope that the kingdom of God is here. Paul and the other apostles did the same exact thing. They knew their responsibility as a worker for the farmer, who is Jesus. They knew their responsibility was to plant seed, which is the word of God, and the field, which is the world. The worker's focus was planting good seed, The focus is the kingdom of God and not sin. We cannot make people quit sinning. Only God can change hearts. And you know what? When God does change hearts, we're still going to sin because we're human. There was only one person that was perfect who never sinned, and that was Jesus himself. And he was able to do so to become our sacrifice for our sins. Besides Jesus, we are all sinners even after we come to the saving grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His blood washes away our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. But we cannot, it is not our responsibility to beat people over the head with a Bible and the Word of God and throw out a bunch of scriptures to them. It's not going to help a thing. It's not going to change their hearts. Only Jesus can change their hearts. So what we what we are responsible for as workers of the farmer, being out on the field laboring, is sharing Jesus, the message of hope, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I want to remind you of what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It says Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He wasn't condemning them. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is great. See, the harvest, he's looking out over the field, the people. And he says, man, they're ready. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. We're not in charge of the harvest. We're in charge of the field. We've been given a job, and that's to plant the seed of Jesus, to tell people about Jesus, not not tell people how they're sinning and they're living for the devil and they're they're condemned and all this stuff. We're supposed to show grace, mercy, compassion, love, long-suffering with people and share with them Jesus and give them hope and give them the opportunity to to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. You and I are not responsible for the harvest. Jesus himself is in charge of the harvest. He's going to send his angels when the time comes to, to, um, When the harvest is ready, he'll send them out to gather the harvest. And they will separate the wheat from the weeds. As a follower of Jesus, a worker for the farmer, are you doing your job? Are you sharing the message of hope? Are you telling people about Jesus? Are you telling them about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus with people so that they can have the opportunity to be saved like you. So they, they can have their sins washed away and they can be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they too can walk with Jesus and be a part of the kingdom, to be a worker for the kingdom. Remember, you are not the harvester. You are... Uh, a worker, the worker for the farmer. So don't be concerned with bashing people for their sins. Don't, don't be concerned with, you know, that crowd over there, uh, who looks this way and talks this way and, and, you know, they, they don't, they don't fit into your, uh, preconceived church ideas. Don't condemn because God's Word and the Holy Spirit will do that. It's not our job. We are to love people where they are and we're to share Jesus with them so that they can have that opportunity to accept or reject. We're to tell them how they can be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and ask them if they want to be a part of the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of God. That, ma'am, that, sir is our one job as the old saying goes you had one job are you doing your job only you can answer that question god bless you thanks for watching thanks for listening and keep grinding thank you for listening to the grinded podcast today may god bless you If you have any comments or questions, you can email them to us at thegrindedpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like Randy to come and speak at your church or your next event, you can contact him through that same email address. Also, I would like to thank Jody Foster's Army, also known as JFA, for their song, Abba, as we use for our intro and our outro off their untitled 1984 album. May God bless you, and remember, keep your eyes on Jesus and keep grinding.